Philippians chapter 2, we're looking for verse 19 as the starting point. And follow along if you would as I read. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you, you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honour such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Uh, verse 19 through 21 and verse 22 cover the character of Timothy. And it was a number of weeks ago that we commenced on this study of three fascinating characters found in this passage of Scripture. We began looking at Paul and his view of eternity. And we spent uh, two weeks doing that, part one and two. And then we moved to part one of Timothy who uh, we called a faithful friend and a spiritual servant. And then we took a short interlude, an intermission, where we looked specifically at verse 21 of our text, where the Bible says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And for a time we spent, uh, we spent some time looking at the high cost of being a disciple, a fairly confrontational message, if you were here on that occasion, about what it is to really be a disciple. And then last week we had our communion service, so we had a little break. And this week we continue where we left off with part two, looking at Timothy, this man who is a faithful friend and a spiritual servant. And he's the second out of the three here. Lord willing, next week we will continue in our journey looking at Epaphroditus uh, and seeing this third of the three mentioned here in our passage. But today we want to consider Timothy. A faithful friend and a spiritual servant, part two. Heavenly Father, as we approach the text, as we approach the word of God, we realize afresh that this is not just any text, it's not any book, but it is the book of books. It is a living book, a book that changes lives and it is our prayer today that uh, it would go forth with great power and do exactly what it claims to do, to change, to challenge, to conform, to chasten, uh, and that, Lord, we would, each of us, have divided to us by the Spirit of God truth that is for us personally, and that we would apply it, and that we would go and live it. So help us, we pray, as we consider this man, Timothy, and draw uh, application for ourselves, to ourselves, to our families, to those in our care, uh, that we would do so uh, as we are led by the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at three things today. 
three simple things and let me uh, introduce this second part of Timothy and this topic is being very simple, not incredibly deep by way of theology. We're not going to be looking at some some heavy, heavy doctrine, but looking at the life of a man uh, that will help us in our own walks with the Lord if we would simply live like him to be a faithful friend and a spiritual servant. I want you to look with me in verse 21 about this man, Timothy. Paul says, for they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, first word, but. First thing I want you to notice this morning is that Timothy was a man of contrast. A man of contrast. Everybody's seeking their own ways, they're all doing their own things and Paul simply inserts at the beginning of this next verse the word but. Denoting the fact that Timothy is different from all the others who would seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. It's a very sad indictment at this particular time because Paul surveys the many believers that are around him. He surveys the many believers that are there in Rome at this time and he looks and he looks and he takes inventory of them and the summary that he comes up with is a devastating conclusion. They all seek their own things and not those of Jesus Christ. Nobody really has a genuine concern for spiritual matters save only Timothy. And we spent quite a long time, a number of weeks ago, studying the aspects of a true disciple from this very text. And we discovered as we studied that, that a true disciple is seen in three things. And that is that we are to deny ourselves. We are to take up our cross and we are to follow Christ. And we spent some time uh, unpacking what that means. And that's a very uh, a very full-on command by the Lord Jesus. It's not something to be taken lightly. You are to deny yourself. If we can just do number one, let alone all three, deny yourself, then take up the cross and follow Christ. It's a huge call. It's a great call. It's an all-consuming call found there in verse 21. But here's what I notice as Paul looks at Timothy. And begins with this word, but a contrast. Timothy was a man who stood out from the Christian crowd. Now we hear a lot of preaching today about standing out from the world, don't we? We hear a lot of preaching. I I shared with you this morning a journal entry I wrote as I, as I wandered through some of the streets and places of uh, this city of ours of Melbourne. And uh, that there was confronting to me. And I shared that with you just a little while ago. And we hear a lot of messages about standing out from the crowd. But Timothy was a man who didn't only stand out from the world, he stood out from the Christian crowd. He was different from the others because he was one who was committed to the call of Jesus Christ upon his life. He was committed to the fact that he was going to be about the things of God. A little bit like the Lord Jesus who said, I must be about my father's business. Oh, that that were a reality for every Christian. Oh, that Timothy were a man that we would be like, where it would be said of us, he didn't, he wasn't concerned about his own things, he was concerned about the things of Jesus Christ. Timothy was not concerned with his own agendas. He was entirely focused on what Christ would have him to accomplish. He had already said no to himself way back in Lystra, way back at the beginning when Paul first came to town. 
And he had gladly embraced the cross that the Lord Jesus had laid out for him. And he was presently walking in obedience to him. We see a great example of a disciple right here. In fact, we read about it in Acts, I think it's chapter 14, when we first come across Timothy. And the Bible says there was a disciple named Timothy. This is that Timothy, a disciple, one who had already said no to his own desires, taken up the cross and walked with his Savior. May I say to us this morning, reverently and kindly, there are very few men of contrast today. I want to give you some biblical examples of men of contrast. We won't turn to them for the sake of time, but let me just list them out for you. Biblical examples, men who were men of contrast in the place of society, in the place of culture, in the place of their own Christian, if I may say so, households and so forth. These were men who were men of contrast. We begin when we go to Genesis chapter 6 and look at Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 to 9, let me read this to you. This is what the Bible says. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What a sad reality. Six chapters into the Bible. This is already happening. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. What a sad reality that God would be grieved. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I have made him. But, contrast, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And Noah walked with God. Noah was a man of contrast in a community of people that were carnal. Noah was a righteous man, a blameless man, and one who walked side by side in step with his God. In spite of the culture, he was a preacher of righteousness. And the Bible doesn't give us a full understanding of all that happened in that day. But can you imagine for just a moment being instructed by God to build a great boat where it has never rained before, build a great boat and all of the ridicule and the mockery of the people of that day as Noah the righteous man obeyed God with his children and their wives and his wife and they set apart. Eight of them were saved because he walked with God. What a distinction, what a contrast Timothy was such a man. How about the second example? David, a man of contrast. Let me read you a few verses here again. The text is 1 Samuel 17, verses 4 through 11. This is what the Bible records of David. And we know this story very well. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. By the way, when you look that up, it is enormous. It's like carrying me. Like this is this is huge what this guy was carrying. And he had bronze armor on his legs and javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up the battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me if he's able to fight with me and kill me. 
then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, note this, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. You know what he was saying? I defy your God. I defy all that you are and I will destroy you. That's what Goliath of Gath says. Notice the response. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. First Samuel 17, verse 32, a little bit later on, David comes and he sees the situation and David says to Saul, the king, by the way, remember who Saul is? He's head and shoulders above everybody else. He's the greatest fighter. That's why he was chosen originally. This is Saul and little David, this red-haired teenager, comes to Saul. And this is what he says. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I mean, if it wasn't in the Bible, you wouldn't believe it's true. Like, who's going to do this? 1 Samuel 17, 45 to 46 is what the Bible records. Then David said to the Philistine when he came up to him, You come to me with sword and with spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. He makes it very clear what his plans and intentions are. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Talk about a man of contrast. The whole of the army of Israel is quivering and quaking with fear at the sight of this giant. And David, again, probably a teenager, probably not a huge guy just yet, although he's developing as a young man. Here he comes as one man against a giant and says, I'll be a man of contrast. I'll stand up when everybody else won't. In the midst of God's people. Had the children of Israel seen God's hand at work? Yes, time and time and time again. And yet here there is a call for a man of contrast and David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, who's already had a chance with the bears and the lions, says, I'm ready. Give me this man, I'll take him. Another example of a man of contrast. We could turn and we won't to Daniel chapter 3 and we would read of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. One of my favourite accounts in the Bible Men of contrast, foreigners in their land, in this land that they are now in Babylon. When everyone else bows, they refuse. Daniel 3, 1 to 6, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe and all these other instruments, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. I wonder what would happen if that were a reality right now today. I wonder what we'd do. Imagine the scene. In Daniel chapter 3 and verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods nor worship the golden image that you have set up. Wow. And then in verses 15 to 18 of that same chapter, this is what we read. If you do not worship... 
You shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? King Nebuchadnezzar says. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, I love this. I love this. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter, but we will. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, it's his choice. If not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These are men of contrast. And we know the end of the story. They didn't. They didn't know the end of the story. In fact, they were saying the Lord can do it. But he may not. Either way, we don't mind. We're not going to bow down to this golden image because we know that in the book of the law, in Exodus chapter 20, the very first thing God said to us is you shall worship no other gods and we will not do it. Men of contrast. I want to give you one more example before we move on. And that's the example of a man found in the New Testament but was in fact part of the Old Testament system and his name is John the Baptist. What a man of contrast he was. In Matthew 3, 7 to 9, this is what happens. But when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. That may not mean a lot to us today, but that meant a whole lot in that day. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. You know what he says? He says to the religious elite of the day, those who are the, the righteous ones, those are the ones who are on the street corners and they, uh, they're teaching and they're preaching and so on. He says to them, you brood of vipers, you bring forth repentance. Don't think that you're something special because you're the children of Abraham. God can raise up children of his own out of these rocks. Can you imagine the response of those people? He was unashamed to stand out in a generation of lackadaisical people and people who are not serious about things and preach repentance in that culture. And a little bit later, he loses his head because of what he says in Mark 6, verse 17 to 18. It was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her for John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. John was totally unashamed to uphold the holiness and the righteousness of God, so much so to the king's face. That's a pretty serious decision. Timothy was such a man. Like Noah, like David, like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and John the Baptist, Timothy was a man of contrast in a generation of Christianity who expressed greater concern for their own matters than that of Jesus Christ. May I say to us by way of application on this first point, God is looking for men and for women who are prepared to be different, who are prepared to stand out even in the midst of the Christian culture today. Those who will be committed to his will, to the building of his kingdom. You know what I find today, and I I, I guess uh, I'm not going to apologize for the frankness of this message, but I don't want to say things in uh, in an offensive way, but I do want to say this, that there are so many Christians today who are blending into society, who are becoming cultural chameleons, You know what I mean by a chameleon? I've shared this many times with young people over the years. A chameleon, that lizard that is able to change its colour based on the surrounding. And we see 
cultural chameleon Christians everywhere. You place them in that situation and they just fade into the background. You don't really realise that they're a Christian. You don't see that they dress like the world. They sound like the world. They, 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 uh, they worship like the world where God has called us to come out from among them and be separate. What's happened? What's happened to the church? Why are we ashamed? Why are we afraid of standing up and standing out for the cause of Christ? So, well, I don't have the power. Yes, you do. You have the power of the Holy Spirit living within if you are saved, who has, who was the one who raised Jesus from the dead. For you to say, I have no power is to attack the very gospel of God because he says, I gave you the same power that raised my son from the dead. Don't you dare say in the midst of this, of this uh, cultural uh, situation that you can't stand up and stand out. To say that is to say that you do not have the power, which is to say, therefore, that you are not truly saved. See, here's the reality. We have been called out. So let's live up to the calling. You know what church is? Ecclesia. The word ecclesia in the Greek is to be called out once. Those who God handpicked for his own glory, for his own purpose, called out from the world, called out from everybody else in order to display his glory. Are we displaying his glory? Am I displaying his glory? Am I a man of contrast like Timothy, like Noah, like Abraham, like these other great giants of the faith who were just simple men but obeyed a powerful and wonderful God? We are to be men and women of contrast. And the further we go in time, the fewer there are that stand. As in the days of Noah, as in the days of that great time where men and women were concerned about their own things. The further we go, the less there will be. And we see that happening all the time. Less and less are willing to stand for the cause of Christ. The call this morning is be a man or a woman of contrast. The second thing I want you to note about this man, Timothy. We find here in verse 22, Paul says, But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I found this second point fascinating. This is Timothy, a man of character, a man of contrast. First, the word but gives us that indication. But now a man of character. Paul says, you know, Timothy's proven worth. Remember who he's writing to. And remember some of the history we've already looked at. And I'll briefly share it with you again. The Philippians are deeply aware of Timothy's ministry and faithfulness over many years. It's not an abstract knowledge, but experiential, because here's what's happened. Timothy was with Paul and Silas when they first arrived in Philippi. When we read that in Acts chapter 16, and they stayed many days. Timothy's one of them. He's one of those people there. You know, on the Sabbath, when they got up and they went and they looked for a temple or a synagogue and couldn't find one, they went down to the riverside, because that's often where the people would meet for prayer. And so Paul uh, and Barnabas and Timothy go to the riverside. And there they meet a lady whose name is Lydia, praying and worshipping the Lord, but not really knowing the Lord Jesus Christ in his fullness. She's a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, which, by the way, may give us an indication as to how Thyatira in Revelation came to be a church. Perhaps she went back home, got a burden for those people. 
But you know what happened is she gets saved. The Lord opens her heart. She gets saved. And she's baptized along with all of those in her household. There's, there's a, gr- a group of people who get saved here. Timothy's part of this. Timothy witnesses this situation. And then a little while later, you remember Paul was going around preaching and teaching and a slave girl that had a spirit of divination was going around and insulting the Apostle Paul by making statements from the spirit that was within her, the evil spirit. And finally, Paul, agitated and frustrated, deals with that situation and the spirit, that evil spirit comes out of that girl who we don't know what her name is. But you know what happens? The people of the city find out, well, hang on, this girl was bringing us much income and much good. So they take Paul and they take Silas. I'm sorry, I said Barnabas before, I mean Silas. Paul and Silas, and they put them into prison. Remember that? They beat them and put them into prison. And it's Paul and Silas who are singing at midnight in Acts chapter 16. You recall that? The Bible doesn't tell us where Timothy is at this point. Timothy, I believe, is either in the prison cell right next to them or he's not far away, whichever the case. He's got nowhere to go. Philippi isn't his home, so he must have been somehow connected in this situation. And you know that the uh, the earthquake takes place and, and the prison doors fly open and all the chains are gone, a miracle of God. And the jailer is about to kill himself. He has a knife ready to plunge into his heart. And Paul says, don't do it. Stop. Relax. We're all here. We haven't gone anywhere. Which is why I suggest Timothy was in the prison cell. He says, we are all here. I wonder if Timothy was one of them. But then what happens is he washes their wounds and he says, what must I do to be saved? And that great verse Paul responds with, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. By the by, that's the only way. That's the only way anybody can ever be saved from their sin. And there may be those in our midst today who who wonder and question, how is it that I can be saved from my sin? How can I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? How can that be a reality? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe the truth about him and you will be saved. Timothy, no doubt, observes this reality with Paul and Silas. And then they go back to the jailer's house and there his family is saved and baptized. And incredible things are happening in this place called Philippi. And we don't know from scripture whether Timothy went to Philippi any other time, but it's very possible that Paul sent him on other errands that are not included in the passages of scripture here. Timothy had a proven track record with the church at Philippi. Because now... Some 12 years later, Paul says, you know Timothy, you know who he is, you know his character, you know what kind of a person he is, you saw him way back there in Philippi, maybe you've seen him since and you know what kind of a man he's been following me ever since. He was esteemed very highly. Look in the text here with me if you would and notice in verse 22, Paul says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. This is one Greek word, these two words, proven worth, one Greek word in the original. And it's a very interesting word. It means to be tested. It means to be experienced. It is the idea of proven, genuine, acceptable and trustworthy. You know what it means by way of true application here? Timothy had demonstrated a dependability, faithfulness and commitment over a period of time. Timothy had stood the test of time and had confirmed his consistency. We have to ask ourselves a question here for just a moment then. Okay, that's really interesting information. Timothy was a man of contrast and he's a man of character. Here's the question. How do you and I get proven worth? This is where the rubber hits the road. How do you and I get this same proven worth? Paul says he's a man of proven worth. 
How does that happen? I want you to quickly turn with me to Romans chapter 5. And this to me was fascinating in the study. I hope it will be for you too. As we really hit the practicality of what it is to have proven worth. Romans chapter 5. In the midst of some incredible theology by the Apostle Paul here. Beginning in verse 1. Let me read the first five verses. One of my lecturers always said when you read from the passage of scripture and it begins with therefore, you should really go back to why the therefore is there. But for the sake of time, I won't. I trust you'll go back to why the therefore is there. But here it is in verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Declared righteous, that is. And we have peace with God. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Verse 4. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, I am going to be incredibly brief here because this is an incredible passage. But what I want you to note, please, is verse 3 and 4. This is what Paul says. Not only all of these things I've just mentioned to you, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now that by itself, just pause and think, rejoice in your sufferings. Adversity, affliction, pain, hardship, difficulties, hurdles to jump... Paul says, we rejoice. And he's not saying, I rejoice. He says, we who are justified, we rejoice in this. This is a reality, or it ought to be. This is why. Knowing that our suffering produces endurance. Sounds like James chapter 1. Knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience, endurance. And verse 4, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. In this incredible passage, Paul gives us insight into what I have called the process of proven worth. Now, that could be a separate message and I one day may preach that. But here's what happens in this text. We have tribulation and that produces endurance. We have endurance which produces character and character which produces hope. That's the process. But here's the interesting thing. The word character in this text is the exact same word used by Paul for Timothy, proven worth. You know his proven worth. You know his character. How do we get character? It says here, tribulation and endurance will produce character. You say, how can I be a man or a woman of character? Suffer. That's how you become a person of character. Suffer, but don't suffer badly. Rejoice in your suffering. Allow it to do its full work. Allow the refining fire to continue. See, here's the problem. Here's the problem we have in today's society of Christianity. As soon as it gets hot, I'm out of here. I'm jumping ship. This water is boiling too hot. I can't continue here. And we jump out of the refiner's fire when he's doing a completing and a perfecting work in us. Why have we very few characters, true characters, in Christianity? That's because everybody's jumping out of the line of fire. This is too hard. The Goliath, he's too big. 
We can't do that. This is too serious. This task is too hard. God could not possibly have called me to suffer. Well, you have not read your Bible because the Bible says we are called to suffer. We embrace suffering. How is it that these martyrs in the old days would come to that post upon which they would soon either be mounted or burned and they would grab a hold of it, embrace it and say to those captors of them, you don't need to tie me, I'm going nowhere. And we look at them and say, wow, what Christianity that is. That is character that has been refined in the fires of God. You say, how can I be someone of proven worth? Experience suffering. Endure it. And you'll have character. And character will produce hope. Time and time again, the Bible informs us that character or proven worth is the result of faithful endurance in the face of trials, persecutions and hardships. Why are there so few men and women of character today? Because character comes by weathering the storms and staying in the furnace until the refiner has finished his work. Character is developed through hardship. You say, you don't understand my lot. I don't. I understand my lot. I understand what the Lord's distributed to me. I don't understand what he's given to you, but this I do understand, which is true. And this is an absolute truth that if you are a believer today, the lot may be different. The distribution of God's suffering in your life or suffering that has come by means of God seeking to refine us, whatever form that has taken, this I know, there is a greater power within you than the power that is without. There is a greater force and energy and person living within that will produce within you the endurance if you will but stay the course, if you will not quit, if you will not give in just when it first becomes difficult. See, we find right throughout the scripture that the proof and the evidence of true salvation is not that you started well, but that you finish. It's not that you looked like a Christian for a portion of time, but in fact that you are still looking and living like a Christian. The proof and the evidence of this faithfulness to our God in salvation is that, yes, I've struggled, yes, I've fallen, but God has picked me up and he has moved me on to greater call. He's moved me on to higher mountains, to deeper valleys. And you see people of character, you say, wow, they have some battle scars. Yeah, they do. They do. They have some battle scars and yet they're joyous. Why are they joyous? Because God has led them all the way. Some through the waters, some through the floods, but all through the blood. And so the key to understanding Timothy, by the way, as probably only about a 30 year old at this point, 12 years of experience from possibly a teenager right through to only 30 years of age. That's a year younger than me. This man was a man of character. That's a real challenge to me. That should be a challenge to us because most of us in the room are above 30. Are we like him? Are we men and women of character? Of character refined through the fires of God. The last thing I want you to see before we close is that Timothy was not just a man of contrast Not simply a man of character, but he was also a man of commitment. A man of commitment. In Philippians 2 and verse 22, the Bible says this. Paul says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, his character. 
How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. He hadn't only demonstrated inward character, but now he had also demonstrated a life of commitment. Commitment. The outward. The service. We see this in two ways. The first way we see his commitment. We note here in Philippians 2.22, his commitment to Paul, his spiritual father and his mentor. He says here, how as a son with a father, he has served. Timothy's been ministering with Paul now for some 12 or 13 years. And let me say this to us. It was no walk in the park. Paul wasn't the easiest person to hang around with. Let me just just put you into the picture here for just a minute before we finish. Paul infuriated people everywhere he went. Literally everywhere he went. People got so angry with Paul. Now, Timothy is a different character. Timothy is not a Paul character. Timothy is a little bit of a quieter background person, committed as Paul, but not with the same charismatic personality that Paul has in the Scriptures. Paul infuriates people. And Timothy's one step behind him. Can you imagine being one step behind a hurricane? Can you imagine being that? I think sometimes perhaps my wife would uh, would understand this concept more than any. Because sometimes I'm sure she must think, man, everywhere he goes, disaster happens. You know, There's always things that are going on. And there's truth to that. Paul, it was like a hurricane. He'd go in there and he'd blast the place to pieces. And there'd be people wanting to stone him and kill him and infuriated at him. And, and Timothy, I have no doubt, as a, a, a gentler man we read in Timothy, I'm sure there must have been times where he thought... Did you have to say it like that, Paul? I mean, I know you're a Jewish man and you're pretty forthright, but could you have said it maybe with a little bit more, you know, love or tenderness? Um, Timothy, we, we have an appreciation for this character, Timothy. Because, you know, Paul's zealous commitment to the work meant that Timothy couldn't really ask for annual leave very often. And we talk about that today in our society. Timothy didn't sort of say, well, you know, Paul I might have a bit of a sabbatical here. You know, you're nuts. Like, can we have a break here? You know, like we're going from place to place to place and shipwrecks and stoning. And you know what? Timothy must have started to wonder, surely, our new accommodation in the new city, the next prison cell. You know, when I go from one place to the next, I'm probably just going to be in a prison cell. And that was the reality that they were living that life. Pain was simply a way of life. It wasn't unusual. It wasn't extraordinary. This was just life for Timothy. Death was a constant, imminent reality for Timothy and Paul. No doubt Paul would have experienced many physical ailments that Timothy had to take care of. I mean, Paul has nearly died. If he hasn't died, back there in uh, uh, Lystra and Derby, he's been stoned there, he's been whipped, he's been beaten in all sorts of places. No doubt Timothy is helping him get around as a younger man. Death threats, demonic activity... Opposition, dangers, little comforts, just par for the course of following the Apostle Paul. In spite of all of this, Paul can say of Timothy, you have served me like a son. And that meant a lot in the Jewish days because your son was going to become your apprentice and he was going to take over the family business in the ideal Jewish setting. And so when Paul says this, he uses a metaphor, I believe here, where he says, it's just like I've trained you up and now you're going to take it on and uh, this you've served me just like my son would. That's a huge commendation by the Apostle Paul. 
You know, Timothy is a wonderful example of a second man, the backup man. He was not the spotlight, but he was called to help the spotlight. You know what I think? I think of Timothy as a New Testament, Aaron and Hur. You remember that situation? Moses on the mountain there before Amalek. And whenever Moses would hold up his rod, you remember what happened? The battle would be... It would be victorious. They'd be winning the battle. And no doubt after holding up for a period of time, Moses' arms began to get heavy and they came down. Aaron and Hur went up on the top there and they held his arms up so he could hold his rod up. And while the rod was held up, they had the victory over Amalek. Timothy is the New Testament Aaron and Hur holding up the arms of the frail apostle behind the scenes, not really seen, but doing an incredible job, faithfully Serving. May I say this to us on a personal note? Every pastor and every church leader, those who are public, not because they have a greater gift, but a different gift. Those people who are up the front, who are charismatic and have a personality that is perhaps more magnetic or more out there and so forth. Every single person of that nature must have Timothy's. And may I say this to us? If you are not a Paul, be a Timothy. If you are not a leader, be the learner from the leader. If you are not a Moses, then hold up the arms of those who are, whether it's here or elsewhere, that the battle can be won. Because God designed the church in such a way that it's not everybody to be spotlights. It's not everybody to do exactly the same thing, but everybody to play their role in the local church. And we see in Paul and Timothy's relationship a wonderful picture of the church. An upfront person and someone else who's with him all the way, carrying those burdens, walking with him, endangering themselves for the glory of God. Timothy's level of commitment to Paul is exemplary. And it is my prayer that God would give us many Timothys, many Timothys in this church, in our community, in our country. We see his commitment to Paul, his spiritual father and mentor. And lastly, we see his commitment to the gospel. Look at what it says. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How is a son with a father? He has served with me in the gospel. We see here that Timothy was not simply drawn to the charismatic personality of the Apostle Paul. It wasn't about that man. And may I say to us, and pause a moment, if you are following a man, stop. Because it's never been about a man except for one man and that man is Jesus Christ who we sing fairest, Lord Jesus. You are greater and better than anybody else if you are following anybody else other than the Lord Jesus Christ. You are following a man and that is called idolatry. The very thing that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego would not do. Timothy was not drawn to Paul for his magnetic personality. Timothy's commitment was to the gospel. To the gospel. Timothy was committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and had experienced in his own life the transforming nature of the gospel. And I must pause for a moment. I know there are regulars here, there are visitors with us and I need to confront you on this truth. Have you been transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ? You say, I don't even know what the good news is. This is the good news. You are a sinner. You say, that's not good news. Yeah, no, it is good news in one sense that you are so depraved and desperate that you cannot make a single change in your own self. But God in his mercy, 
sent the Lord Jesus Christ because He loved you so much individually, not corporately, individually, personally. He loved you so much that He wanted to redeem you from your sin and He sent His only Son to die on the cross, the perfect, spotless Son of God, that you might have life through Him and in believing, in firm conviction, knowing that I can't do anything and that He is everything, we turn from our sin and we say, blessed be Jesus Christ who has redeemed me, who bought me back from the slave market of sin where I could do nothing. He's justified, declared me to be righteous, not because of me, but because of him. And through that, I have peace with God. Because Christ came with one purpose, to bring us to his Father. Let me ask you, do you know the truth of transforming grace? The one that changes everything, the one that changes inside out. You may have tried everything. You may have tried everything in this life. You may have seen it all, and yet you think there is still a hole, a vacuum within me that no, nothing and nobody can fill. Jesus Christ is the only one who can change your destiny. Fill your heart with joy, a song, take you from the miry clay and place your feet upon the rock. My friend, this morning, let me ask you, have you been transformed by the gospel? Because your commitment to the gospel will only come as a result of having experienced the gospel. Because when the gospel changes us, it puts within us a fire for it. Because there's a lost and a dying world that have no hope. And as I stood there on that platform at the train station and I saw the myriads of people, my eyes filled with tears as I looked and I thought, what of these? What of these men and these women who are hustle and bustle in everyday life seeking to amass wealth for themselves and know nothing of the coming condemnation, nothing of the wrath of God that will one day plummet them into an eternity outside of Jesus Christ. And I was immediately filled with tears. And at one point I felt like screaming. At one point I looked out and I thought, what am I I'm doing? Nothing. And this was Timothy whose commitment to the gospel meant that he would go from town to town following the apostle, from prison house to prison house, from stoning to stoning, from whipping to whipping, for one cause, that the lost might see their saviour. I realised that I was not committed as I ought to be. And I realised that I, unlike Timothy, was not truly a man of contrast, not truly a man of character, and not truly a man of commitment. And I wonder if that's us. I wonder if that's us. Whilst others were committed to the culture, Timothy was committed to Christ. Whilst others were concerned with comforts, Timothy was content with calamity. Whilst others were pursuing their goals, Timothy was proclaiming the gospel. Whilst others had forsaken, Timothy remained faithful. Friends, as we close, there is much to learn from this faithful friend and spiritual servant. Let me ask us these questions. Are you a man or woman of contrast, even in the realm of Christianity? Or are you a chameleon Christian? Just blending into the background, going through the motions, just looking like everybody else. Are you a woman or man of character, proven worth, tested in the fires, the refining fires? Are you a man or woman of commitment to Christ first and foremost, to the church leaders, to one another, And of course, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are these things true of us? 
Church, is this a reality for us? I confess this morning that this has not been as much a reality for me as it ought to be. And so I say to us, come join me as I seek to be what I need to be before the Lord. And let's do this together. And let's be like Timothy, a faithful friend and a spiritual servant. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge of it, for the power of it. Thank you for the way in which it confronts our weaknesses, confronts our sin, puts before us a challenge and then a choice. And Lord, as best I know, a challenge and a choice is put before us today. Will we here in this place be men and women of contrast? Will we be men and women filled with character? And will we be men and women committed? Lord, we, we repent of the reality that we are often not that. And Lord, we pray for grace and for strength, for enablement to be what you've called us to be, to ask in every situation, in every action, in every deed, how will this promote the glory of my God? How will this show others the character of my Saviour? How will this make God look good? Lord, help us, we pray, to be all that we ought to be. Help us to lay aside the sin which doth so easily beset us and run with patience and joy the race that is before us. Cause our hearts to be revived today if that is what is necessary for those ones in our midst perhaps whose hearts even now are moved at the thought of not knowing the truth about Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, may they today come to understand it. May they approach one of us. May we show them from the word who you are and what you've done, that they might understand the joy of sins forgiven and a knowledge of God, a true experiential knowledge. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.